Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. Today, I have to say it is my youngest inner child self's biggest dream come true because our guest today is none other than Will Wheaton. He's a highly acclaimed producer, narrator, and actor who's appeared in dozens of films and TV series. Most recently, he played a fictionalized version of himself on CBS's The Big Bang Theory, one of the most highly rated and watched sitcoms of the last decade. He's an accomplished voice actor and has lent his talent to animated series, included Family Guy and Teen Titans, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Batman, The Brave and the Bold. His audiobook narration of Ernest Cline's Ready Player One debuted at number one on the New York Times. So I can go on and on about Will, but you have to hear this incredible story. He is one of our time's best storytellers. And I was so, so honored to have been approached by his team to be on the Radically Loved podcast. I really love Will's story, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Uh, I've already introduced the world. Not that I needed to introduce you to the world, but I just have told everybody how amazing you are. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) One of the things that I love the most, it's not just one, Will, but I'm without sounding redundant, but I'm a total geek, right? So I feel like your story, just your life story overall is so inspiring, especially to a kid who was literally your demographic. I was the, I was the little girl that was buying the teen idol mags. You know, I was that person, you know, and to just grow up to see your evolution, your ups and downs throughout your career and really following your transformative process has been one that is monumental to people like me. So first I want to say thank you for always being honest and sharing. Thank you. That um, it helps me feel so much less alone when someone shares with me that they see something familiar in my experience. I've talked about how we're in like a club that none of us really want to be in. But once we're once we're in it, we all know that secret handshake. Yes. And just just getting to do it is just like, oh, okay. And now I can go on. You know, I just there's yeah. just always something. There's just something that I always have that reaction. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And you know, this is you are so one of the things that inspires me constantly is how honest and open you are about your past and even currently like what you go through and the places in your life where you like to spend time and energy and how you do talk about supporting others to be seen and heard because you didn't have that, right? So saying that, I know that your book just came out and it's an annotated version, right? So it's still just a geek 
and it's an annotated memoir by Will Wheaton. So my first question, because I do want to talk about the book, and I'm trying, again, to not ask you a million questions. Well, listen, you can ask me as many questions as possible. <laughs> like, like, this time belongs to you. Use it however you want. Honestly, as an interviewer, the best ones are when I'm talking to them about what I'm interested in. Yeah. So, well, so no, like, I, don't feel like you don't feel like you have a checklist. I mean, I unless you want to have a checklist, then please have yeah. a checklist. No, I'm I'm such a f- I, I'll throw the checklist. I'll throw all these questions out. <laughs> like I'll throw them all away. But I think mostly what speaks to me, and I'm I'm curious for you in this process of transformation, like how often do you reflect on the will that you used to be to the will you are now? I have to do it all the time. Um, It is a constant part of my post-traumatic recovery process. One of the fundamental ways I was able to even imagine healing was possible was to create in my mind a separation between who I am right now in this moment and who I was when this thing happened and who I was when this other thing happened and and who I was when this other thing happened so that I can be for the memory of myself, the person who I needed, who was not there for me. I can be the dad. I can be the unconditional support and the unconditional love. And I can stand up for and kind of protect that person that I was. Because I have these unwanted, unwelcome kind of flashbacks from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have memories of things that are that are really upsetting that kind of come out of, they always come out of nowhere. They always get like shot into my face, like from the most unexpected places. And when that happens, I have to do that exercise. It's a, I guess it's kind of a version of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And I do that exercise until I feel okay. And I have gotten to a place where I can remember for myself, like that was then, and this is now, and I'm okay, and I'm safe, and I have the things that I need. And now it's safe for that person I was to express his fear and his pain and his sorrow Mm. and all of the things that he needed to express. Yeah. Yeah, and it I mean, just varies, you know, it just some days that happens a lot. Sometimes it doesn't happen for weeks at a time. Um, yeah. As you can imagine, it happened all the time when I was working on this book, which is why it took so long to do it. It has not happened as strongly while I've been promoting the book, which has been really nice. I was concerned that maybe talking about it a lot, it might, yeah. it might be rough, you know, and it's what you said about the safety and freedom and just simple honesty has been really reassuring and comforting for me. Yeah, I think that it's interesting, right? Because it's those moments in our life that really shape us. And sometimes we don't always like to relive that trauma. And and especially for people that have that cathartic experience of expression or they want to share it because they want to be able to give others comfort because they want to recognize their experience as well. 
but we're still having the experience, right? So it's like, how do I share this in a way that's sustainable for me? So I guess for my question to you is, how did you take care of yourself through the process of writing this, of going into those places? And you can give as much or as little insight into like maybe one of the experiences that really stood out for you. I'll just go to the most difficult one. The hardest part of the entire thing was writing about how abused and exploited my sister and I were when our mother forced us to do that movie, The Curse. It wasn't just that she forced us to do all of that stuff. And it wasn't just that she and my dad lied to us about it and really aggressively manipulated me so that I felt like I had no choice, even though I said over and over and over again, I didn't want to be part of this. It's the literal decades of gaslighting about it afterwards that she told herself a lie. Mm -hmm. And I just, I still don't know what it is, but that my mother made a choice and it wasn't to just look away while my sister and I were being abused. It was to actively participate in it because she was benefiting from our labor. That was something that was unbelievably hard to to re-experience as the child who went through it. It was something that was enraging for me as an adult, as a father, as a big brother, as the godfather to my sister's son, that I have been upset by things that my parents did. And there's a whole, you know, there's just this, there is a whole thing with my dad just making it super clear that he didn't love me and just like really holding that over my whole life. There was a whole other thing, a whole other like very specific kind of fury that I had to work so hard to validate and release so it didn't poison me when I went through that and remembered all of that. Because like if a single adult who had been around at that time who did not do anything, if they had come into within arm's reach of me while I was writing that, I would have killed them. I was that angry. Like I was angry as the survivor, but I was also angry as an adult who knows how incredibly wrong all of that was. And it was so, so hard. It took me days, days to write 1,200 words, I guess, something like that. Wow, yeah forever and ever and ever. And then I had to stop writing for a couple of weeks after that because I needed the space. I needed the time and space. And I I was on the phone with my sister all the time when I was working on that because I was like, you're the only person who was there who tells the truth about it. It was incredibly challenging. And there was a lot of me as an adult now sitting with younger versions of myself. And it helped me The end result of that entire process or the end result so far, like the most recent significant waypoint on wherever that part of my journey goes is I kept telling my wife when I'm not expecting it, just this white hot volcanic rage at my parents just swells up in me. And I feel like it gets caught at the bottom of my throat, you know, and I'm just like, I don't want this. This is not the person I am. I'm, I work so hard to like walk the middle way. Like it's mm-hmm. such a challenge for me. And I couldn't figure out, I was like, what is going on with that? And I accepted it as a natural part of my grief process and that I needed it as part of my fight or flight. And it was part of the survival mm-hmm. that got me through. And 
Had I not written that and then said it out loud when I did the audiobook, I never would have gotten through whatever I needed to get through. And I know this is a slightly unsatisfying part of the answer because I can't say it was this list of things. Yeah, I yeah. just know that it was like an obstacle course in the dark where everything was tipped with poison that I had to get through. And once I got through it, that unwanted, overwhelming emotion that just felt like it was going to suffocate me wasn't there anymore. Yeah. And I guess it was a combination of the talking and and letting go of the shame response and not carrying the secret anymore. Mm-hmm. But that was that was incredibly challenging. And when when you read the book, when you get to the end in the afterward, I talk about how I was hoping for a catharsis and it was just yeah. re-traumatizing. Yeah. And that was before I had done the audiobook. There was something about saying it out loud, and I don't know what it is. I'm sure that there's science to it. I'm sure there's something about the vibration of it moving through our bodies, and there's mm-hmm. something that happens when like, we engage speech and all of yes. that and what that means. But saying it out loud gave me the catharsis that I hoped writing it would. Yeah. Well, it so it makes so much sense energetically, just the form of expression. I mean, we have... Birds have wings, you know, they have wings for a reason. We have a voice as humans for a reason. I think there is part of that integrative process as well as a cathartic process that has to happen where I think when I'm writing something that's very difficult to write, even though I'm expressing it, it's still, there's an energy to it. And especially somebody that has experienced that type of trauma for many, many years, like, you have that experience physiologically living in your body, right? So in a way, the voice is giving that expression a place to go, which is really interesting. And thank you so much again for sharing that. I mean, I've heard you talk about this before and it's so different, right? When you have the opportunity to ask the person whose experience you're reading about is fully present in front of you and, and they're expressing their emotion in real time. I mean, it really is. To me, it just shows me how important these types of conversations are. And, and it's why I started the podcast, right? It's it's why I wanted to create a radically loved hub because I wanted people to feel radically loved and supported. And, you know, one of the things that came up as you were talking, because it's really hard to move through that type of anger at times, right? Like somebody did something, like, how could you, especially you're a father, like, how do you reconcile when you're with your kids or you're having a conversation or you're just like being a dad and you're being loving and supporting? Do you ever stop and think like, man, I didn't have like, fuck you for not giving me this experience. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes I have found that the healthiest and least toxic way for me to express the loss Mm. that that opens up in me is to reframe it as just such a giant fuck up by my dad. Like I'm such a cool person and like, I'm a good person. I'm like, I work real hard to be kind all the time. I work so hard to be the best person I can possibly be 
so that every person who has to or chooses to interact with me leaves feeling a little better or at least not worse. Like, and that's hard to do. And that's the thing that I make a choice to do that all the time. And that guy will never get to know that. As of yesterday, I'm a New York Times bestselling author and he gets none of it. And my mom can't take it away from me. Like she took every piece of success away from me and like just claimed it for her own. I did this thing that was so hard that I worked on for so long. And like, I decided that I'm not going to define my success on somebody else's terms. The doing Mm -hmm. it was successful for me. The completion of it was wonderful. And, And when I finished it, I wrote myself a note and I was like, dude, you have to remember that you have now finished everything you can do on this. It's out of your hands now. Everything that happens after it's published, it's already happened. You just haven't observed the results. So you just got to write it and accept whatever happens and enjoy this. Enjoy that you finished it, right? So on publication day, everybody around me is losing their minds. And I was like, I'm not as excited as you all are (laughs) because like the excited part was, and I felt bad, you know, I was like, I love that you're so excited for me. Thank you. But like the part of me that would be that, you know, like that just wasn't there. It came a couple of days later. I was like, wow, this is real cool. Then yesterday I got the call from my agent and my entire publishing team. You're on the New York times bestselling list. And I was like, what? Wait, I had, I didn't expect that. And I, I certainly like didn't need it. But then I thought, well, this is really cool. And the person I was excited for isn't really me now. It's me 20 years ago Mm -hmm. who really needed that and needed that validation. I have that validation on my own. And I think about how excited I get when my son does something cool and shares it with me, when he just is excited about a thing and wants to talk to me about it. And I think about how the guy who could be the dad side of that for me made a choice roughly 40 years ago, or at least that's when I became aware of it, that he was never going to do it. It was just not going to happen. Depersonalizing that took a really long time. Mm, Yeah. A really, really, really long time. Occasionally, the personalization still comes up. I feel like that's okay. And I just have to let go. Yeah. Remember that it's not. Yeah. Remember that it's not, but I understand why you feel that way. Yeah. How do you father yourself? I talk to myself with the same patience and love and respect that I use when I talk to my sons. Hmm. I read somewhere this advice to think about the person you love in the world. There's a person in this world who just like who means so much to you and you wouldn't ever want a single bad thing to happen to them. And you would do anything that it takes to protect them from being hurt. Think about the way you talk to that person. Talk to yourself that way. Why would you talk to yourself any other way? And I had to learn that for almost my entire life, I let my dad yell at me in my head and I let his emotional abuse and my mother's like enabling of him and protecting of him really control a lot of my decision-making and really direct a lot of what I thought I could do. And I super limited myself. I had to learn how to listen to my own voice. And a big part of that process was 
just kind of writing, like checking in with who I was. I started, I, I started with 14, 15 year old me, like right at the beginning of Star Trek. And I remember I was sitting in this room that I'm in right now. And I had a journal that I had been just writing stuff in for a really long time. And I just sat down one afternoon and I just thought 14, 15 year old Will, I have never really honestly sat down and let you exist and let you express exactly what's going on in you. And we're going to do that right now. And what he told me was just how scared he is, mm. and how lonely and how insecure and how anxious. And in a weird way, that was like kind of the first time I started to really get to know myself. I had known my anxiety. I had known the story I was told about myself. And I knew that a lot of the story I was told about myself wasn't true. And it took me trying everything that I could possibly do up to and including hating myself as much as my dad hated me mm. to like try to fit into that story. And when it became really clear to me that like, okay, it's me or the story. I had to choose me and it's an ongoing process. You know, it's just ongoing never-ending work. It's hard work, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah. I just did probably one of the coolest things I've ever done on my health and wellness journey. So people age at different speeds. The date on your license doesn't really represent your biological age at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span and slow down the aging process, the key to health and longevity is in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with the personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce stress, improve sleep, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking to identify where you're optimized and where you're not, which is where my sort of ideals of thinking that I'm fully this healthy person and I'm doing everything I can. I was a little bit, I was a little bit shook when I got my results. Here's the best thing is that you get daily action plans with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. Something I wish I would have learned 10 years ago. Add Inner Age 2.0 to any plan for a definitive calculation of your true biological age to see how you're aging from the inside out, which I feel like everybody should do. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com forward slash loved. That's insidetracker.com forward slash L-O-V-E-D to get 20% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. insidetracker.com forward slash loved. I don't think I ever told you the story of my engagement ring. It took a really long time. It took 15 years <laughs> for me to finally get my engagement ring. And when we were looking for wedding bands, I didn't want it to be another 15 years. Fortunately, I was able to find exactly what I wanted and it came from Orate. Orate's gold feels substantial and the diamonds sparkle and shine with such high quality and they're so beautiful. Orate has hacked the jewelry market to make real gold accessible. And it's a female-founded company. These women wanted to shake up the jewelry market by offering modern women beautiful designs, amazing quality at affordable prices, and ethically sourced pieces that they can wear every day. 
So I got that mixed cut diamond ring as my wedding band in gold and I love it so much. It's so beautiful and I wanna wear it every day, but apparently I'm not supposed to be able to wear it until after we get married. So there's that. Oh, also, if you're eyeing a piece, but you're not ready to splurge all in in one go, in addition to their transparent and fair pricing, Ori has also teamed up with Accrue Savings so that you can enjoy the option of saving up for your very dream piece. Accrue is a creditless way to save and buy. You can choose your product and open your Accrue Savings account and make your first deposit. Then you're on your way to saving and earning rewards, which you can use towards your purchase. For 20% off of your first Orate purchase, go to oratenewyork.com forward slash loved and use the promo code loved. That's 20% off with no minimum spend and they rarely have discounts as high as 20% off. So I really encourage you to shop now while it's going on. This is the best offer out there and it's exclusively for our radically loved listeners. So once again, go to oratenewyork.com forward slash loved and use the promo code loved to get 20% off. That's A-U-R-A-T-E, newyork.com, oratenewyork.com forward slash loved. It's time for a break, my friends. This is technically an ad break, but our partners at Calm want you to focus on yourself for a moment. Take a deep breath and let it out. Relax wherever you're holding your tension. It's important to tune in and recenter and Calm can help. We're partnering with Calm and they are the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. You can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations to improve your focus. You can listen to curated music. You can rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories, which by the way, are my favorite. They also have really cool playlists that you can just play in the background whenever you're working or doing any housework or you're just wanting to listen to something that's going to help create that really great energetic flow. If you go to calm.com forward slash loved, you'll get a special offer of 40% off of Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. There's over a hundred million people around the world that use Calm to take care of their minds. Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, live happier and live a healthier life. So head over to calm.com forward slash love so you can get the exclusive offer of 40% off of the Calm Premium subscription. That's calm.com forward slash loved for 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Calm.com forward slash loved. Being a mom is hard work, isn't it? It's a 24 hours a day job, seven days a week with no days off. And all day, every day, you're dealing with demands and questions from your kids. And dare I say it, maybe the husband or your wife. It's so easy to feel exhausted and burn out and taken for granted. Like you just don't have any more to give. So what can you do to reclaim your sanity and feel like you're in control again? Some of the world's smartest moms are turning to Newtopia, a company that makes special plant-based brain formulas that fight brain fog, enhance cognitive function, and boost energy levels. Newtopia offers a variety of formulas which are customized for you based on your strengths, weaknesses, and goals, so you get exactly what you need. Taking the right formulas at the right times can help you reduce stress, 
anxiety, block out distractions, tap into your creativity, and a whole lot more. And you'll be amazed by how quickly they work. You'll feel the mental effects within just 15 to 30 minutes. Newtopia formulas are a total game changer. They also come with a full one-year guarantee, so there's zero risk for you to try them for yourself. It's time to upgrade your brain and take back control of your life. Simply go to newtopia.com forward slash radically loved and use Radically Love 10 to receive up to 50% off of your first order. Again, that's newtopia.com forward slash radically loved and use the promo code radically loved 10 to receive up to 50% off of your first order. That's N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A.com forward slash radically loved and use the promo code radically loved 10. Sometimes the pathology to people that grow up with abusive parents or abusive people in their lives at a young age tend to replicate it in their adult relationships. Mm -hmm. Did you find that that was the case for you? And how did you begin to break away from toxic relationships if there were any? They were very immature teenage relationships and kind of like very like 19, 20 year old relationships. I wasn't in a normal environment. I wasn't in an age appropriate environment when it would be normal to like start dating and kind of starting to explore that that whole part of being a person. And my experience with all of that was, oh, you're a girl and you will pay attention to me. Well, I'll do anything you want so you won't leave. And I did that with a, a about three or four girls. And we were immature kids. We were, I was obviously damaged. I think that these young women were, from what I can remember about it, were also damaged and just, we didn't know what to do. So they became kind of like toxic dysfunctional relationships. And I had kind of not really been dating for a while and kind of wasn't particularly interested in it around the time that I met my wife. And when I met her, everything was different. She was, everything about her was different. Her entire energy was different. What she brought to the table and what she expected from me was completely different from anything I had ever experienced before in my life. And I felt really safe and very secure with her right away in a way that was kind of freaked me out. I was 23 and she was 26 when we met. And and I just thought like, well, I'm not ready for this level of like feeling good about somebody. And like 18 months later, we were like, listen, I know I was like, I know that I'm kind of young, but I'm thinking that maybe I want to get married sometime like to you, maybe. Um, And we should probably talk about that. So we did. And we really avoided, we had both been in toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and we, we both, I think knew what those toxic relationships entailed and what inside of ourselves allowed those relationships to sort of like toxically flourish for as long as they did. We're able to identify those things and make respect and communication the fundamental everything of our relationship and our marriage. We're coming up on 
on like 25 years of knowing each other. And I think maybe even a little bit longer. I'm bad at math, but we met at, on New Year's Eve in 1995. We got married in 1999. So yeah, it's like, been more than 25 years. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. I keep reminding myself that I turned 50 in July. That's weird. Uh, so that, that is what I did. And Anne and I were just talking about this yesterday because we, we see a couple of people we know in toxic relationships and there's just like, you kind of want, I want everybody has to make mistakes and everybody has yeah. to learn from mistakes and everybody has to be supported when they make their mistakes. And, and one of the things that I tried very hard to do with my boys was break the generational trauma. As soon as I became aware of it, as soon as I became aware of how I could not do to my kids what my dad did to me, which is not just, oh, I don't love you and now mm-hmm. and will not treat you with contempt for your entire life. It was the specific ways he did it the specific methods of humiliation and mockery and undermining. And, you know, if you, if you talked to either of my parents, they would fiercely deny that anything they did was abusive at all because they didn't like leave marks. You know what I mean? Right. Because, yeah, exactly. Because, because, because Different dad, generation. Because dad only choked me a couple of times. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? You know, like, how about at all? Yeah. Um, you know, like that sort of stuff. Like I had to be really, really, really sure that, the emotional stuff. I was never going to lay a hand on either of my sons ever, but the emotional stuff, I had to learn how to not inadvertently replicate patterns. And I did that by going to weekly therapy sessions and family counseling and, and reading uh, books from, you know, like child rearing experts and stuff, and ultimately settling on an authoritative parenting style that is paying real dividends in our family now. Yeah, can you just like, tell the listeners what that is? Just an over. Yeah, it's sort of the happy balance between permissive and authoritarian. A, a permissive parent's kind of like, do whatever you want, and that makes kids feel super unsafe. Mm-hmm. An authoritarian parent says, do what I say or else, which makes kids feel afraid and ultimately resentful because they're not learning why things happen and why why choices happen and what consequences are. Authoritative parenting sets up boundaries for kids, which models boundaries for kids, which teaches kids to build their own boundaries as they get older. And it says to kids, listen, you can do these things and you need to make choices. And there are consequences for your choices. There are awesome consequences. Like, look at this great grade you got. And like, hey, cool, you you know, now we get to do a thing or whatever. And there are negative consequences. Like, well, now, you know, you didn't do your thing. So here's the consequence for it. Authoritative parenting isn't personal the way authoritarian parenting is. Authoritative parenting for us was about building respect and giving our kids the tools to be fully functioning adults who would not be pushed around by people when they grew up. Authoritarians just create other authoritarians. Weak, scared people who get a sense of power and comfort by having someone control them while they try to control another person. It's extremely unhealthy. Yeah. Okay. That's Thank you for explaining that. I, I love that. You know, and I, I always find when people start talking about breaking the generational trauma or generational issues in ourselves, you know, Tori and I, my partner, we've been together for almost 20 years. So Mm -hmm. I can relate to you and Anne's incredible relationship. But we talk about this too, because we've talked about having a family, you know, and even though like we're almost 20 years in and we're still like, we're going to figure out this family thing at some point. Sometimes I feel like maybe there's a reason why this isn't, whatever. Anyway, it's a separate topic, but I do feel like 
in order for people to continue to learn about themselves. Like, what a great reflection to have than to have a child or, you know, somebody that you're raising or you're a big influence on how your, you know, makeup, your hardware impacts them, you know, the way that you've chosen how to be. And most people don't think, I mean, obviously people listening to this podcast are into self-development and healing, et cetera. But there's a lot of people out there who aren't into learning about that stuff. I mean, you, you've again, been very open and honest about your journey and, you know, going to therapy and, and getting help and, having breakdowns and the ups and downs of of your career and it's it's really interesting to know that there are literal people out there who are not interested in doing the work or realizing that they had some sort of flaw in raising a child right so how would you recommend people that are listening to this right now and perhaps can really relate to your experience with your parents and and growing up in an environment where they didn't feel seen, heard, or understood. How do they reconcile that moving forward? Like what is their, what could they focus on to believe that they can break that cycle? I mean, I can only tell you what's worked for me. You know, there's, I wish there was, wouldn't it be cool if there was just a chart you know, that we could just look at, you know, like, here's how you, is this your particular flavor of trauma? Here's how you, here, here are the four steps. I'm like, it would be awesome, but it's like always different for everybody. It's a lot of different things and they all have to happen in their own time. And I don't know if this is even necessarily the, the right order that they have to happen in. For me, I had to get myself like out of the way and stay focused on the the thing that was really important to me with my kids they don't deserve to have any of the garbage my dad dumped on me also dumped on them they had nothing to do with that they also deserve a dad mm. their biological dad is awful and I felt horribly for them when we were younger. He spent so much time and money just dragging us through family court with the only goal at all of just disrupting our marriage. And he just took years away from the kids and it was just selfish and petty and really immature. When we become parents, we make a promise. And the promise is I'm gonna do the very best that I can to put a confident, compassionate, empathetic adult into this world. And part of upholding that promise is doing work that is hard. I looked at the parts of myself that hurt so much, I numbed them with alcohol for 15 years or however long I was a drunk until I stopped drinking. And I didn't like doing that at all, but I had to because I had to work out my stuff before I could give my kids what they needed. When they were little, I did the very best I could to be up to show up for them. And I did it absolutely to the best of my ability, which then is not the same as the best of my ability now because I hadn't done all of the work that I needed to do. I didn't know that I needed to do the work. Mm -hmm. So I guess step one is like, do you need to do the work? 
that's not necessarily a yes for everybody, but like we could all do some work. So like, if you're really sincerely concerned with like showing up for your kids, I think you're going to no matter what, because just having that concern means as a parent, you will find a way to be there the way your kid needs you to be there. And I always tried to do that for my boys. I know that I wasn't always able to. There were a lot of times when I wasn't able to show up for myself. But as I have gotten older, an enormous part of my healing has been to show up for myself by being the person I need in the world. And when I am actively working on being that person for myself, I can kind of passively be that person for other people in the world. And that includes my family. And that includes all the people with whom I have a parasocial relationship online. And I think a lot about how when I was growing up, my mom's words did not match her actions at all. She said all the things you're supposed to say and then never supported those things with actions. Mm. And if your kid starts, kids are really insightful and kids just don't have a big filter and kids kind of like read behavior because we don't have, we don't have like extensive communication skills. So it's like, this is a basic way to communicate. If it's not matching up, your kid's going to know what's going on and it's going to really, really affect them. And it's going to affect their ability to trust you. And from that point of trust comes absolutely everything else. Yeah. Oh, so good. I want to be respectful of your time. And again, I didn't ask you uh, any of the questions that were on that list. You gave me the permission and I took it, you know? 100%. I wonder, this thing happened to me this summer, and I haven't told the story in public yet, but oh. I feel like it lives at, at, at a particular intersection that might be relevant to you and to your audience, because it's at this interesting intersection of like physical biological science and also kind of a a sort of not supernatural I don't believe in anything supernatural but like maybe metaphysical or highly symbolic kind of emotional component that was very surprising to me and it all kind of ended up coming together in a way that had it not happened to me I never would have believed that this sort of thing can happen so this is that little story in August of last year, I had a full body clonic tonic seizure. It was brought on by a migraine, which was caused by a pinched nerve in my back, which was caused by um, massive, massive stress and me holding all of it in, in my body. Anne wrote about it on her blog. It's at annweaton.com if anybody wants to read about it. It was a horrific and terrifying event for her. It was a day and a half in the emergency room and months of recovery for me because I don't remember any of it. As part of that seizure, one of my thoracic vertebrae rotated. And your thoracic vertebra, for those who don't know anatomy, are your vertebra between the base of your neck and kind of like where your rib cage kind of starts to sort of ends on your back. It's kind of like your upper back between like your shoulder blades. And these particular vertebrae are they're real strong and they're real stiff and they're they're real important for support on your body and if they get moved around it's very hard to get them moved back and this thing had rotated and it was causing me pain all the time it never went away for months i couldn't exercise i couldn't lift things over my head long after this this thing had happened and every time my back hurt every single time, which was every day, something associated with my dad being cruel to me exploded into the front of my vision 
every single time. And nothing I was doing was working to release my back. Massage, yoga, different kinds of like skeletal manipulation work. Nothing was working. And I finally said to a friend of mine, listen, you know that I am like captain skeptic. If it can't be tested in a lab, I just don't want to even have it. I don't want to hear about it at all. I am so goddamn desperate because this pain is so bad. I'm just going to consider it. Talk to me about your fucking woo-woo mind body thing that I always say is bullshit. And she was <laughs> like, okay, let me tell you all about this exact place you're talking about is this thing that in my bullshit woo-woo thing, we associate specifically with fathers and we associate specifically with support. And it doesn't surprise me at all that when you feel this pain, you think of these things. There's a whole mind-body thing, which you don't believe in. So I'm not going to tell you about, but it's a thing that I tell, I promise you science says it's real. And I was like, okay, I'll maybe look at that at some point in the future. And she was like, so, you know, think about these things. And I did. And I spent a fair amount of time kind of working on that stuff. And I started to do lots of cognitive behavioral therapy around things that were specifically related to my dad, like specifically my dad screaming at me, like that specific experience. A couple of months go by and we're able to go to Maui just to like get away from everything. This is a thing that I'm super grateful for. It's one of our incredible privileges. We can go and stay at a little condo and just be quiet and left alone. And it's beautiful and really important for us. So we're there and Anna's out swimming in the ocean. And I had been thinking about a lot of this stuff and I had done lots and lots and lots of work, lots of therapeutic work, a lot of journaling and a lot of kind of like talking out loud and like having conversations with myself and kind of like being my own therapist a little bit to work through all of this stuff. And I laid down on the beach and I had my headphones in and I was listening to Bob Marley's album, Survival, um, which is one of my favorite of his records, which I only mentioned because the title Survival is symbolic and kind of cool. And I'm a storyteller and I like that detail. I love it. And, uh, and I'm laying down on the beach and it just, it's great. It's a beautiful day. It's everything you want the beach in Hawaii to be. And laying on my back and I sit up, I tighten my abs and I sit up to just look out at the ocean. Right. And I felt and heard a click in my back, kind of in between my shoulders. And I thought, did my back just go back? Did my vertebra just rotate? And I sat all the way up and I felt this flood of relief run through my entire body. I felt it run down my arms to the tips of my fingers like blood was flowing for the first time in months. I felt this relief that was so intense, I started to cry without realizing that I was crying. The storyteller in me wants you to know that there's this image of me like leaning over, like crying in relief as like tears hit the sand and turn the sand into those little dots of wet sand. And this image comes into my head, just comes out of absolutely nowhere. The image is my dad and my brother, who's his golden child. And they have their hands on my back, like in my back, around my spine, holding me, not letting go shaking me, hurting me, refusing to let me exist. And I go, you don't get to do that anymore. I'm taking your hand off of my body. You don't get to touch me with your body. You don't get to touch me with your emotions. I am walking away from you. And when I thought that I could see it all happen. And over the next two days, every day, some new piece of my body 
had a little pop and a little move and things just started coming back. And all the pain that I had been carrying physically in my body went like it wasn't there anymore. And I noticed that close to 100% of the overwhelming emotional pain was also gone. And it took with it that rage I had been so upset about that I had been trying so hard to let go of. Something happened when I went up like that and I got that image in my head. I am a science guy. It feels like if someone was like, and I prayed about, I would be like, okay, with your book, whatever, you know? I don't know. It could all be a coincidence. And there's a part of me because I'm the observer that is absolutely compromised in this in this experiment. But these are real things that really happened to me. And the emotional component of physical healing was so much more than I expected. And it was so much more than I thought was even possible. The reason I am telling you this story and the reason I think it feels like it's relevant to your audience is based on what you've told me, I feel like there are people listening to this who might be in the same place of like, maybe there's a mind body thing, but it feels so close to bond. Here's a magic crystal, you know? And yeah. it was a very real non-bullshit magic shaky stick thing for me at all. It was a very real physical act of healing and it was remarkable. And since that happened, and that was back in like February, since that happened, that like boiling up of like that, like slow volcanic rise that was coming up all the time has been gone. An enormous part of my pain and trauma physically and emotionally healed, like at the same time. Wow. And I just think there's maybe there's something a bit more to this mind-body connection than super hardcore ultra skeptics like myself are willing to admit. And yeah. maybe it is actually worth looking at and at least being open to. Oh, and hey. if it's not, maybe there's something in the idea of it that lets us get out of our own way and allow a yeah. thing to happen. I don't really care how we get there, you know? I mean, that's really the point. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see it. It's like, I get it. I'm with you. But I'm like, a, I'm like total skeptic. Sci yeah, neuroscience. Let's really focus on this. But then at the same time, I'm like, I believe in ghosts. Like there, <laughs> there's, there's that, you know, I, I love to just be open to, to all of it. And I, I think that's the component where when I hear stories like this, I mean, I know, I believe that. I definitely believe. And I almost feel like, Sometimes it's the skeptics that have those really incredible experiences because it's like, okay, this is your work now to share this story. Uh, which makes me so mad. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh I, because I have to spend like, listen, it's like a six minute story. And I've spent a half an hour telling you how I don't believe in it. Like, I mean, it's just like, come on. <laughs> no, this is, but, but it's good. But I think that's part of, look, my big issue, especially in, in my world, right? In the world of wellness, even with the stuff that I wrote about, you know, I'm very much like, there's so much dysregulated stuff out there, you know, that I just get. For real folks, be careful. I know. And so for me, I just, I, I kind of, teeter on that line of like, hey, you know what, support whatever you want. But at the end of the day, like you have to learn how to discern ultimately. And, yeah. and that's a, it's a skill that you develop over time. I mean, I remember learning critical thinking when I was in the sixth grade, you know, like learning about and, and thinking, oh, okay, this is how critical thinking, this is how, what critical thinking is. And I almost feel that, I don't know that it's getting taught as much as it was, or maybe it didn't get taught. <laughs> a certain age demographic, but I feel that 
these are those experiences that you just gather data, you practice discernment, and you hear people's stories of truth and experience, and you utilize that to assess what that means to you and how that's going to serve your highest good, right? So thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love that story. I'm I'm a believer. In my mind, as you were telling it, I was like, oh, this is exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah, no, this was connected. Mind, body, spirit. Yes, it's the connection. It's happening. So I do appreciate that so much. Again, thank you so much. I want to do this again. Hopefully you'll come back and see us. Uh, Anytime. I would love that. I really enjoy I'm really looking forward to reading your book. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, I very much appreciate your time. I know you appreciate mine, but I also very much appreciate yours. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. One final question, and I ask it to all my guests, and it pertains to why I started the podcast. And I said this to you before, but I started the podcast because I wanted to create a place for people to go to, to feel supported, to know that we are radically loved by whatever, Mother Nature, God, higher power, whatever it is that you believe in, that the universe can at times conspire to help you achieve your highest, to radically love you, to radically give you that that space, that landscape for you to create the life that you want, right? So the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? My wife and my children love me because I exist. I don't have to do anything to be special to them except show up. And it feels really good, but also I feel sad for the little boy who didn't have that. And I feel sad for the guy 20 years ago who wrote the book that started all of this also didn't have that. But since 1999, I've had it from Ann. And since 2000, I've had it from Ann and Ryan and Nolan, even when I wasn't able to see it. And even when I wasn't able to feel it. And everyone is a child of somebody's and every child should feel radically loved. I'm really lucky that I feel radically loved by my children. Mm. Thank you so much, Will. You are uh, truly an inspiring icon of our time. And uh, yes, thank you for for your words and for everything you share. And, And truly what I said before we even started recording the podcast, like just me personally, my experience, I don't think if there wasn't the work that you had done and created and the path that you went on, people like me wouldn't have received that transmission. So thank you again for that. Yeah, I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful that I get to do this and that I I got this opportunity to talk to you. So everybody that's listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And for the people listening or watching this, Will, where can they reach out for more information? The best place to find me is at willwheaton.net. That's where my blog is. I have a couple of social media places. You can find links to them there. I just want you to only have to remember one URL, Will Wheaton with one L, willwheaton.net. Great. And we'll put all of those links that Will mentioned in the info button, as well as Anne's blog. All of the links that were mentioned here will be in the show notes below. So if you're watching this or if you're listening, you can just hit the info button. So thank you. Thank you so much, Will, again. And thank you all so much for listening. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie 
on Instagram at Rosie Acosta and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. Mm-hmm.